Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, and we're going to go all the way through uh, that paragraph, really, to uh, chapter 11, verse 1, is the end of that paragraph. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 11, 1. Do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ stands ready to do something. Stands ready to transform our darkened hearts. God is ready to speak light into darkness. Darkness into unregenerative people, lost people. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, Let the light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of what? Well, he tells us, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so that's what happens when we're born again. That's what happens when we are redeemed, when we sing praises and thank, being thankful that he is the Redeemer and that he has saved us. We see the glory of God in Christ. And, and you know what happens? Is we love it. We love it. It's the new creation at work. And so by faith in Christ, all of our inglorious sins, our dark sins, have been atoned for by faith in Christ. We're transformed from darkness into light, and now we're called then to live every moment for the glory of God. We're to see God's glory in the world and in life's every moment. We're to delight in the glory of God. We are even to see in the tiniest moments of our life something as simple as even eating and, and drinking, we're able to see the glory of God in it. I know a, a guy that every time he would pray at a, a, a restaurant, we were there, he would thank God for the ice in his drink. And at times I'd be like, that's weird. But then I was like, you know what? The tiniest thing. He's giving thanks. Whatever you do in verse 31, if you want to jump down there and look because really kind of the pivot point of this whole section. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We're able, able to, to savor this, display the glory of God, put on the display by our good works, that others may see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven so we are able to shine. And that's kind of the question of purpose then. What, we have this very important purpose in life, don't we? To both see and to enjoy the glory of God and to put on display God within us. That's the purpose and we're finishing here today this three-chapter kind of unfolding of an actual church issue, a church problem that was happening in Corinth concerning eating meat sacrificed to idols. And if you've not been with us for a while and you 
you're going to hear scripture pretty soon here, and it's about a meat market again. You're going to be going, okay, I, I, what? They're talking about a meat market at church? Well, we'll explain this. But the section of scripture that we've been in is finishing up today the sixth of ten major issues that were in this letter that Paul was address, addressing first. Why is it sinful for a church to be divided over church leaders? That was the first issue. Second, when and why should a church excommunicate a professing believer? That was the second issue. Why is it, the third one, why is it wrong for a believer to bring a lawsuit against a fellow believer? We dealt with that one. First, uh, the fourth one, should a Christian commit sexual immorality? We dealt with that one. Fifth, should a husband and wife regularly in, enjoy the, the marriage union? Is it always wrong to get divorced? Should single people stay single? All of those issues, we dealt with that one. And if you want to go back and listen to any of these, we have them up on the website. And then this one that we've been dealing with for the last few weeks, is it wrong to eat food offered to idols? Now, in this section that we've been looking at, Paul contends that there's much more at stake. Get it? Uh, anyway. You got to just hang with me every once in a while. I'll slide one in there on you. There's much more going on than enjoying one's rights. It's far more important to, to love one's brothers and sisters. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul illustrates that, that he gave up certain rights for the sake of the gospel, and we, we saw that in chapter 9, and then he, he shouts out, he extorts uh, to the Corinthians to flee from adultery, and we dealt with that a little bit last week, and, and not to presume that they are unable to fall. That's the context that we're sliding into here for the last part of Paul's argument on this. Final phase. We're going to talk about some other issues that deal with that with Paul. And one of those things is what about meat sold in the meat market? What about being invited to an unbeliever's home? He's dealing with some case studies, two case studies involved in this offering of of meat to idols concept that was going on. And there are practical guidelines, they're helpful, but the supreme purpose hangs over all of it, okay? Once again, verse 31 hangs over all of this. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, everyone, you should think I want to do this thing for the glory of God here, whatever it is. And that's how this fits into the context that we are looking at. And so there's some guiding principles here, four guiding principles that Paul gives us. And the first one is edification over gratification. Verse 23 he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. 
That's edification over gratification. Building up the church is more important than gratifying your taste. Paul turns from the subject of participating in idol feasts and takes up these, these two case studies to govern daily life. All things are life, lawful. Now, he's not saying that all things is an, in an absolute sense. For instance, he's not implying at all that it would be lawful for him to commit murder. So we know that. And he's not saying at all that it's lawful for him to get drunk. He's not saying that. Nothing that's in the moral law, none of that changes. We have to understand, we have to understand the expression as referring only to matters of moral indifference. There are areas in the Christian life where things are perfectly legitimate in themselves and yet for other reasons it would not be wise for a Christian to participate in them. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. For instance, a thing might be quite lawful for a believer and yet it might be equally unwise in the view of the customs of the people where you were at took many, many groups down to Mexico to, to build homes, uh, or took teenagers down there many years to go build homes in Mexico. It was a blast. But one of the things we had to tell everyone, and it was hot. We were down there in June. You can't wear shorts. And all of the teenagers are like, no, it doesn't make sense. Well, you can't do it because that's communicating in the culture down there that you are a person that you don't want to communicate you are. And they go, oh. And so we all wore jeans and things like that. And was it hot? Yes. But not all things are helpful. Get the idea here? All things that are lawful in themselves may not be edifying. They may not result in building up a brother in, or a sister in their faith. And so should I then be high-handed and demanding my own rights? Or should I consider what would help my brother in Christ? This is what Paul's getting at. So the edifying over gratifying first example. Second example is then others over self. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but that of the other person. And really, this is the basic call of living out the Christian life, following Christ's pattern of denying ourselves for, the, for his sake, for his glory. Matthew 16, verse 24, if anyone would come after me, this is Jesus speaking here, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So who are we living for? We're living for Christ. We emulate him. Paul says in Romans 15, each of us should please please his neighbor for his good to build him up, for even Christ did not please himself. Christ did not come into the world to please himself. He came into the world to save lost people. 
to save us. In all the decisions that we make, we have to remember this, we should not be selfishly thinking of what will benefit ourselves. But we should rather think of what would be for our neighbor's well-being. The, the principles we are studying in this section should very well be applied. Everyone, listen to me carefully here. All of this should be applied to matters of all types. Dress, food, drink, standards of living, entertainments that we participate in. How many of you would agree with me that we live in a selfish world? Maybe all of you? Well, Scripture says, yes, everyone. Philippians 2.21, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, that's our natural state. That's the natural state. God calls on us to imitate Christ in putting others' needs and benefits ahead of our own. Philippians 2, once again, each of us should not look only to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And we see Paul say that at the very end of this paragraph here this morning. Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so we see this first edification over gratification. We see the second of others over self. And then we go into a third idea of liberty over legalism. Okay, verse 25. This is where it gets interesting. With if, you've, if you peel verse 25 out by itself, you're like, what are we talking about here? Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions. For conscience's sake. Verse 26, we'll read it all together to have it make sense. For the earth is the Lord's as well as its fullness. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, this meat is consecrated to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience's sake. And I do not mean your own conscience, but that of the other's. For why is my freedom judged by another's conscience? If I partake with gratefulness, why am I slandered concerning that for which I give thanks? Verses 25 and 26, Paul is instructing believers to ask no questions. It's a don't ask, don't tell type of thing to ask no questions about the meat purchased at the market for the use in their homes. Uh, and, and he says, and he's quoting Psalm 24, 1. That's why in some of your Bibles, everything's capitalized. That's a quote from another section of Scripture. So he's quoting 
24.1, and, and he's saying, for the earth is the Lord's as well as everything that's in it. Everything comes from God, and all food is permissible to the believer. We see that in Mark 7 and Acts 10 and 1 Timothy 4. The mature believer can enjoy in his own home even meat sacrificed to idols. That's what's coming down here. Even if meat purchased at the regular market originally came from the temple, which was often the case, it wouldn't be a harm to their conscience. But what about those times when the believer is the guest of, in a home of an unbeliever? And Paul handles this problem then. If the, if the Christian feels like he should go, and Paul doesn't make really a, a call on whether that decision is, you know, of great importance. But what he does say is he should eat whatever is set before him and ask no questions. However, there may be someone present at the meal, one who wants to avoid meat offered to idols. We've talked about that. They, they have fleed from that lifestyle and they don't want anything to do with it anymore they they know it could be a stumbling block for them and and they look at you and they go you're doing what and if that saint that believer informs the stronger christian that the meat indeed has been offered to idols then that stronger christian has an obligation to do what not eat it because he would cause the weaker believer to stumble and to possibly sin. And it goes the same way if the unbeliever says, hey, you know where this is from, you know, kind of like kind of doing a test. Well, then you've got the answer of, no, let's not do this. Spurgeon said this about verse 30. It says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I slandered concerning that which I give thanks? Charles Spurgeon said this, and if anything you might do would not glorify God, do not do it. Because see, Paul's anticipating some questions coming up. Why shouldn't I enjoy this? Why should my liberty be curtailed because of another person's uh, conscience being you know pricked with this and his reply introduces this responsibility we have we are responsible to glorify god in all things and if there's a person in the room that goes you know what man there's no way i can handle that that's okay what do we do we don't do it Because it's God's glory above everything else. And that's what Paul's getting at. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, verse 31, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I also please all men and all things, not seeking my own profit, but for the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. Let's start with verse 31 again. Giving glory to God above all. 
Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Smallest details of life, once again, can be elevated to the level of eternal glory to God. There was a former Dodgers player, you can ask me later who it was, that was very bold with his faith as being a Christian and also quite well known for how he ran the base paths playing baseball. If you got in his way, he would clobber you. And someone asked him, how do you reconcile that with your faith? And he said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I hit that person for the glory of God. All right, I'm not sure exactly it means that, but he did use it as an example to share his faith. The smallest details of life can be elevated to the level of glorifying God. And here's a good rule that we can apply to our lives in this. Is there any glory for God in this? Can you bow your head and think for a moment before you participate in something and ask the Lord, is there, is there glory for God in you in this? Will you be magnified in what I'm about to do? How many times would things change if you thought about that before you did something? So that's, that's one thing. And then the other rule of thumb here in verse 32 is that welfare of our fellow man that he's been, he's been going after. Uh, we should give no offense. Causing people to stumble. And, and he, it's interesting, he points three different ways, doesn't he? You know, to the Jewish people, to the, to the, to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, or to the church of God. And so it's kind of that 360 view of life uh, to, to all different cultures, to the two main, you know, these two main cultures that were there, and to the church itself. I, I, I am... I have got to be thinking all the time, this is not about me. This is about glorifying God and what is going on. If, if I cannot glorify God um, in this, or if I'm causing someone else to stumble, I, I need to stop. As I would say, an important safety tip is this. You cannot glorify God by causing another person to stumble. That makes sense? You cannot glorify God by causing another person to stumble. Now, your own conscience may be strong enough for you to participate in some sort of non-moral activity and not be harmed, but we do not, we dare not use our freedom in Christ in a way that injures a fellow believer or in a way that injures someone that is not a believer. Paul can honestly say then in verse 33 that he seeks to please all men in all things. I, I would argue that probably very few people have ever lived as unselfishly for others as Paul, the apostle. 
when you think about everything that he went through for the gospel. And, and in that, he gives this kind of exclamation point to the end of the section to the church in Corinth, to the people that are there, to, to copy him, to use his example as the model. How many of you feel comfortable telling other believers, hey, follow my example? And you're like, oh. Well, if you are living and doing all for the, God's glory as you interact with believers, if you give up liberty to build them up, give up that liberty to share Christ in all things, we all should be imitating Paul, and Paul qualifies this exhortation by this. He doesn't say, imitate me, and end the sentence, does he? He says, imitate me only to the degree that I imitate Christ. Because Christ is the ultimate example of giving one's self up for the sake of others. Romans 15, verses 1 through 8, explain that very well. So what are the applications then of all of this? Well, first of all, for the person that is not a believer yet, it's the same application we've been saying for the last few weeks every time we start the application point. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Especially because up to this point, if you're not a Christian, you've been living for your own appetite your own desires. And the Lord wants to forgive you. Jesus died on the cross for all of those sins, for all of those things that have driven you here. The Holy Spirit has driven you here today to go, you know what, those things do not fill me up. They have not worked. They're empty things. These desires I've had, these appetites I've had, Jesus died on the cross for all of those sins. Come to Christ. Trust in Him. Find forgiveness. Find purpose. Find meaning. Find the fact that we are to be doing all things to glorify Him. The Bible tells those who accept Christ that they are going to a glorious place, a place of glory. And then for all of us who are believers, do everything for God's glory. This is really the most comprehensive way to apply 1 Corinthians chapter 8 through chapter 11, verse 1. Yes, as Christians, we have freedom. The freedom was purchased to us, for us by Jesus Christ. It is very precious, this freedom from sin. This freedom comes from the knowledge, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you what? Free. John 8, 32. The more we understand about the Adam, for example, the more freedom we have to use it and understand it wisely. You know, when you 
kind of dive into something, you find out more about it, you understand more about it, you can use different things through that. But you also have to balance what you know with God's word and truth and love. Otherwise, you'll blow things up instead of build things up. See, the strong Christian not only has knowledge, but has experience. The strong Christian can look back and see how the Lord has dealt with them through the years. But that strong Christian has to be careful. Paul said that. That experience needs to be balanced with caution. Take heed or you're going to fall. Don't get puffed up. You're going to fall. The strong Christian knows that he or she has freedom, but that he or she also knows that that freedom involves the responsibility. For example, I have the freedom to take my car and drive it on the highway. I have the responsibility, though, to drive it in a responsible way. I am not free to drive at any speed on my street, nor am I free to ignore the traffic signs along the way. There's freedom and responsibility. And out of these chapters come some tests as we wrap up chapters 8 through 11 here. I've, and actually even going back to chapter 6 a little bit. Got some things that you can write down. May apply to our decisions and activities. All things are lawful, but what? One, will they lead to freedom or slavery? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. Number two, all things are lawful, but will they make me a stumbling block or a stepping stone? 1 Corinthians 8.13. All things are lawful, but number three, will they build me up or tear me down? 1 Corinthians 10.23. Number four, all things are lawful, but will they only please me or will they glorify Christ? Verse 31 of our text this morning. And number five, will they help to win the lost to Christ or turn them away? Verse 33, so that they may be saved. The way we use our freedom, everyone in Christ, and relate to others in that indicates whether we're mature in Christ. This whole section, Paul's getting at the fact that you're free in Christ, but you're called to glorify God and lead other people people to God and you better not get in the way you better not get puffed up or you're going to blow it remain humble 
Paul says, look at me, I'm doing the same thing, I'm, I'm imitating Christ, look at me as long as I'm imitating Christ, and that's what we do here. We look at Christ and his call and his command and we live for him. We need to work together in loving one another, building up one another, and glorifying Christ all so that people can be saved and grow in Him. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we